Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You're in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And we have a blast from the past, uh, someone that we had spoken with a couple of months ago, and we were talking about saving the environment, and she had this whole initiative of saving the world, and and it was a, a definite pleasure speaking with her. Uh, we have Yasmin Dava back on, and we're going to talk about summer fun. And most people think of frolicking at the beach and visiting relatives and such. And Je- Yasmin wanted to look at, is our summer fun destroying the planet? And I'm sure a lot of people aren't really connecting the two with summer fun and destroying the planet. So really interested to hear her perspective so we don't destroy the planet. <laughs> Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Yasmin to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on again. Yes, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. And so, yeah, let's jump right into it because, you know, their kids are actually here in Atlanta. Kids are already back in school. So it's it's kind of odd because me, I, I grew up in New Jersey, and school mm-hmm. in New Jersey, it, it was, you know, historically farmland. And so kids had to help their parents in the farms, and they never went back until Labor Day. And so when when everything modernized, that never changed. So... Those kids are running around still at the beach, but kids here in Atlanta can only hit the beach on the weekend, if if at all, if they're not totally okay. entrenched back in school. Yeah. 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 And parents are back at work, so. but we still try and make the summer as long as possible, right? We and take advantage of it down at the beach every weekend and out having picnics and having fun as much as we can before the cold water weather sets in. It was, you know what, and as David and I were talking before we were about to get on and I was thinking about you know I was just happy to to have you back on again but Mm -hmm. and I realized that we we aren't Instagram uh, followers of each other because last week I had uh, I reposted uh, Damon John who is on the Shark Tank show and is a a brilliant entrepreneur here in his own right in the States he had he was in Dominican Republic and he had posted an ocean scene and the ocean, you know, you, you, you expect to just see a bunch of waves. But what it was, it, I mean, there were waves, but it was just waves of plastic. So it was all these plastic mm-hmm. bottles and nothing but garbage and trash as far as mm-hmm. the eye could see. And mm-hmm. I shared that not just being a tree hugger, but also I, I actually used to live there. I lived in Santa Domingo after undergrad. And so I knew how, you know, third con- third world countries or that don't have the restrictions that we are used to, they get taken advantage of. So when I was like, oh, we're going to speak with Yasmin about it, I wanted to bring it to your attention. But also when, you know, people were responding to my Facebook or my Instagram post, they were like, well, thank goodness it wouldn't happen here in the States. And so 
I think they may have be I think they would be misinformed and I was like, Well, we're gonna speak with an expert so we can get to the bottom of it. Okay, yeah, that that is an incorrect assumption. And actually a lot of the plastic waste that is in the world's oceans has been generated by Western countries, not by not by the poorer countries. Because you know, we litter. So we go to the beach and we take our straws and our single use uh um, plastic bottles, water bottles, and you know, Coke bottles or whatever, and we our uh, single-use coffee cups. We still—I don't know about you guys, but here in Australia, there's always a, a coffee shop at the beach, and people still have their afternoon coffees, um, and all of those things. If you don't put them in the bin, and sometimes even if you do, if the bin is overflowing, they'll end up in the water. Same with single-use plastic bags. So if you're not using reusable bags, cloth bags. All of those things end up in the water, and because of the ocean's currents, they tend to all go to, I think, a couple of places, particularly in the Pacific. In the Pacific, there is a garbage dump that is the size, literally the size of Texas. Wow. Yeah. Where is this at? Where is this? In the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, absolutely Western countries are... Definitely responsible, as responsible as everybody else, if not more so. So there are lots of really easy things that you can do, I mean, when you're going out and about, but even when you're just shopping generally. I think, number one, it is about using your consumer power. So number one, do you really need whatever it is that you think that you do? Because we actually over-consume enormously. We use one, the resources of 1.7 Earths, and we actually only have one Earth. So that means that we exceed the Earth's ability to regenerate itself every year. And the 1st of August was actually Earth Overshoot Day. So on the 1st of August, we had used the equivalent of one year's worth of resources, and everything that we use after that until December 31st, we're in deficit. So the first question when you're out and about and you're shopping and you're thinking about going places, do I really need this? Do I really need that plastic straw? Can I just drink straight from the bottle or from the cup? Or number two, if you think you really do need something, what is the environmentally friendly alternative? So instead of buying bottled water, buy a um, reusable water bottle and then just take that everywhere with you and, and refill it when you go out and about. Because a lot of places have you know, water available as bubblers and taps and things like that, so just take it with you. Um, same with reusable coffee cups, um, reusable cloth bags, there's just so many things that you can do, and it's, just, it's easy. It's just about changing a few small habits because when you do that, and everybody does that, lots of little actions by a lot of people accumulate into large action, and that's the way that we influence governments and businesses and multinationals by doing those things, and we don't create waste. Yeah, I can completely understand that because I, I can remember a time, Yasmin, where when I was growing up, we weren't you know, recycling wasn't in our language. And then it was just a small thing about, okay, you know, people should start recycling and and it's just kind of steamrolled and and to where it is now. And I'll be honest, I never thought it would really catch on. I'm like, there's no way people are just too lazy. They're not going to do it. But now, you know, when you put your garbage out every week, you have your garbage and your recycling bin too. And it's pretty much... Yeah caught on and then I'll be like I said I'll be honest I never thought it would <laughs> I said it was just too lazy and spoiled it will never but it has so it just t- it just took some time though 
Yeah, that's it. And so it's just about it's about educating yourself, but it's also about creating new positive habits, like recycling. And remembering every time you go out to take your reusable coffee mug and your reusable water bottle with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How much how much is your message do you push towards the youth and children, because that's really where a lot of the change starts. You know, there, you can sit there and tell children, look, this is what's going on with the planet, but if we do this, that, and this, this, that, and the other, it can completely change and heal the planet. And they'll be like, well, let's do it. They're just like, no, they have no, everything's possible. And so, yeah, and it seems like, you know, so I'm just curious how much of that message gets pushed towards children, because they're really going to be the ones that are going to be making the change? Look, I think environmental education in schools, at least here in Australia, is excellent. And very often it's the children going home and educating the parents. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, here, here it's really good. I don't know what it's like in the States, but, um, but here it is excellent. The environmental movement's done a wonderful job because it's included as part of science in yeah. the science curriculum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what about in popular culture? Uh, as David was talking, uh, I was thinking about the commercials in the 80s and 90s where you went out with the kids again and everybody had um, bottled water or, you know, a lot of disposable stuff and everything was disposable mm. at that time, you know. And so I wanted to know what the commercials are like there. Is it? I mean, it's one that to hear it in school, but if you if it's pervasive throughout your whole day, your life, then I think the message can be, you know, it takes a couple of times to drill down before you actually accept it. Right. Um, I guess I would say this. I mean, you're right. There has been a mass marketing campaign. When I was growing up, bottled water actually wasn't available. Um, and then I would for here it was only through the 90s that it became available and now it's really widely used and the question is why like it, we've just fallen for a mass marketing campaign having worked in the industry and having met a lot of water treatment plant operators they're really passionate about providing you with high quality water product and you know they have to test that water twice a day bottled water is not tested twice a day um, so it has to meet particular health guidelines before it comes to you. And if you don't like, some people say, I don't like the taste of it or, you know, it's got all these chemicals in it or whatever, buy a water filter and um, attach that to your tap and then that way you're drinking filtered water at home if that really bothers you. But I can say that these people do a really good job and they're really passionate about it. So there isn't a need for bottled water. I mean, yes, there's a need for us to stay hydrated when we're out and about, but because water is generally freely available to us, um, you know, you can go and fill up if you manage to drain your reusable water bottle um, and, you know, still be fine. And that's something that we have in Western countries that we kind of take for granted, which isn't available everywhere else. Other people in the world would love to have that, and yet we have it and we're going out and buying bottled water and we don't need to. So... There is still work to be done, you're absolutely right, in terms of, I think, public campaigning. That It hasn't reached the level in people's consciousness that it needs to. Um, but I, I kind of feel now, just this year, that the tide is turning a little bit, that we are sort of having some wins in um, getting the environmental message out there a bit more. So, so, And everybody listening can be part of that change. Just go out and buy yourself a reusable water bottle and just use that. Now, as we talk about 
intrinsic motivation from a homie's perspective, I'm reminded of a hip-hop song. I think it was in 99 uh, by Most Def, and he had written a song called New World Water. And around the time, as you were saying, the campaigning for bottled water was huge in the 90s, and, you know, that's when that song had come out. And it was like, it was... People, it was David and I were talking about people spending five dollars. There was a time where people were skeptical of paying over five dollars for a cup of coffee at a coffee shop, and people were just as uh, indifferent and in not in thinking that people wouldn't buy water. You know, and it, mm. it's just really interesting how um, how that happens now, and it's like 18 years later, and you're talking about it where it becomes so the momentum is so large in a negative sense, uh, like you said, if, if, I mean, I'm just trying to picture that image of the garbage dump in the Pacific the size of Texas. Mm. It's, it's a it's huge hard problem. And that, mm. that, particular, that particular problem is something that we don't, still don't know yet how to solve. A couple of very innovative people have tried to develop some technologies which would allow for the garbage collection on the massive scale that it needs to be, but they haven't yet been implemented and so that garbage dump is still sitting out there. Since you're right, an environment, I want to ask you because since you're an environmental engineer and you have some ties into the industry, I would assume, maybe wrongly, but I would assume there's some type of agreement between countries as to where to dump this. And maybe they decided to, I mean, it didn't seem like a happenstance to wind up in the Pacific. Do you know the origins of how that happened? Look, I actually think it was happenstance. International waters don't, they're not um, bound by any international treaties, number one, particularly for fishing, which is another issue. Um, but also the use, the use of plastic and pesticides and fertilizers and everything else that ends up in the ocean has increased massively over the last 30 years. So we've become these massive consumers, particularly in the last 30 years. And all of our plastic rubbish from everywhere in the world is blowing off into the ocean. Most of it is not. Some of it is from ocean-going vessels, which are just dumping stuff when they shouldn't be, but it's not, not as well regulated as it could be. And, um, and the rest of it is coming from our countries, just off land. It's blowing into the water. So it actually really is happenstance. And now we have this massive problem, which we just ignore because it's not near a country. So nobody's going, oh, I've got this floating garbage pile, you know, I can see on the horizon. You can't. And so we've ignored it and we've ignored it and we've ignored it until it's become huge. Hmm. Now, I'm also thinking about, what was it? Was it in Thailand where they had that tsunami? And what was it, 2005 or four, something around that time? And it was Sri Lanka and, God, we did so much aid there. Was it Thailand or was it somewhere? I thought it was somewhere else. Anyway, yeah, keep going. In that region. And mm -hmm. what was happening was some of the debris was, was coming up on the shores in California. And so it's just, I mean, I'm trying to wrap my head around of, if that can happen, right, how something like this could get so big because the size of te Texas isn't small, right? So it's just yeah. how how does it get to the point? And what's the outreach? I mean, for you to say that, that is such a, a takeaway, and maybe I'm just stuck on that point. But 
it seems like it's already so big. What, what kind of response have you seen globally to address it? As I said, there have been a few individuals who have said, oh, I, you know, I think that I can develop this technology to try and clean it up, and they're still looking, I think, for investment funding, and, and I think they've got to prototype stage. Um, but it's not... If you're talking about what movement has there been at, like, a UN level, I would say none. I don't think I'm wrong with that, but, yeah, there's nothing yet. So it would require an enormous amount of coordination, not that that isn't possible because we do it every time that there's a disaster, but it's also because they actually technically don't know how to do it. Gotcha, gotcha. And and here, at least in the States, a lot of uh, marketing good or counterculture marketing is based on fear. And so a lot of people... To, to generally accept drinking bottled water. I mean, there was this huge, I mean, you could, there's probably a million videos on YouTube talking about not drinking the local water because the fluoride is poison, poisoning us and, you know, all these uh, fear tactics. And what would you say to a fear monger that you're, they're used to drinking bottled water and now you're telling them that the drinking water is super fine? What would you say to that person? I would say if it really bothers you, buy a water filter and um, attach it to your tap and then have every, all of the chemicals filtered out if it really bothers you. I am actually pro-fluoride um, and the amounts that are in drinking level, water levels are safe. Like, in, like a lot of chemicals, um, it really is about dosage. So, um, you know, water treatment plant operators are bound by law usually to only put in doses of fluoride which are safe for human consumption and they do do really positive things for your teeth. See, my dad was a dentist, so I've got a bit of a bias here. Um, and the town where I grew up in, we didn't have fluoride in the water then and my dad gave us fluoride tablets. My teeth are fantastic and I only have like two fillings and one of them was because my teeth was chipped by the orthodontist. So um, my, my teeth are strong. So I actually think fluoride is a good thing and that is the reason why it is added to your water. But if you really object to it and you're worried about it, put on a water filter. Cheaper in the long run than buying bottled water. And as I said, water, bottled water is not tested. And here, actually, they recently publicly did a test of bottled water and there were brands of bottled water that were more acidic than tap water, considerably more acidic than tap water. So um, you don't really actually know what it is that you're consuming. You're absolutely right. And uh, we've been hearing that, not on a grand scale, but you've been hearing that the bottled water is not as, as good as many people think. It didn't even matter the label. I think in some of the exposés, they would show, you know, a top-of-the-line version and then show, like, a medium cost price and then a lower one, like if somebody going to the store. And so the perception was if I spent 75 cents on this bottled water, oh, yeah, of course it's not going to be tested. It's going to be horrible versus if I bought the $6 bottle of water. And what they found in the exposé was, the $6 bottle of water was the same vendor. <laughs> they just made, they covered the market. So, <laughs> and none of them were tested. It was just, everything was perception. And as yeah. I'm talking, 
I had a conversation yesterday because uh, I drink, <laughs> this is probably the other side of it, so I drink almond milk, right? So I think I'm doing something mm-hmm. right. And it was a, a recent expose saying that they were using regular milk in the almond milk. And so I, I hate to do podcasts where we talk about they, but, you know, there is some element of um, of being a boogeyman and fear tactics and not giving the right information that's out there. It's... Um, it's disheartening right. and it's frightening too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you know, I guess you just have to. If you decide that you don't want fluoride in your water and you think it's really bad, it just means that potentially you're weakening your teeth. That's all. And you just have to be aware that that's the side effect. And if you're happy with that, that's fine. But you know, put a filter on and just use tap water. We have a restaurant, or not a restaurant, but we have a supermarket grocery store here called Aldi's. And at the, I don't know if you guys have it there, but we have um, all these. We, we have all these. Okay, perfect. And yeah. what's interesting there is you have to go in with your own shopping bags. Yeah. And so when people leave, they don't leave with three carts like we're used to at the big box stores. Of you know, a lifetime supply of mayonnaise, or <laughs> you don't see that at, at all these. And so it's it's um, I think it's a mindset. But it, what, the reason why I bring it up is because um, a couple of years, or no, maybe like 10 years ago here in Georgia, they started, they started using the um, sin tax. And what that meant was they put this exorbitant tax on sin, quote-unquote, related products like alcohol or cigarettes. And initially people were like, how dare they, you know, the audacity. And then but people had, I don't want to say addiction, but they were so used to just buying it that they just – factor that into their, you know, their buying habits. They're like, well, I guess I just yeah. got to pay the syntax. Do you think on some level, I mean, that's human nature to kind of, if I don't have a choice, I'm going to do it. And that's why I brought up the Audis. Like if we don't, do you think supermarkets and other places would not have like the disposable uh, straws or limit the bags that you can take? I mean, there would be huge backlash I can imagine, at least initially. Ah, well, actually, it's really interesting that you bring that up because the debate is going on where I live. So where, when I lived in Canberra, Canberra had a no single-use plastic bag ban governed by law. So shops couldn't give out single-use plastic bags. And everybody had to take their reusable shopping bags when they went to any of the grocery outlets. And any of, if you went and bought clothes, your clothes would be given to you in a paper bag generally. Um, so a very nice paper bag, but a paper bag that you could recycle regardless. And so we were used to that. That ban has been in place for 10 years. We moved to Sydney two years ago. They are the last state in Australia to legislate. They refuse to legislate to ban single-use plastic bags. But there has been such a public backlash against single-use plastic bags that the um, two major supermarket chains have said, okay, we're going to phase them out. And so just... Just literally last month, they said, from now on, you have to buy reusable shopping bags and use that. And some people, there has been a small outcry, and one of the um, supermarkets has been flip-flopping a bit over it. But I think, in the long run, it really is. As you say, when you don't have a choice, you just adjust. And you get used to having your shopping bags. I always have one in the car with me. 
um, so that if I do have to duck to the shops unexpectedly, I've got a bag to put it in. You just get used to it. It's just a small change. It's a small habit, but those things accumulate into large impact, large actions, and they're important. So you're absolutely right. It is, it is, if you have to do it, then you'll just do it and you get used to it. And yes, you might object a bit in the beginning and then you change your habit and it's fine. Um, whereas here, where the government has not taken a strong stance where they actually really need to, they've, the, organized, the companies have sort of gone, oh, what do we do, what do we do? You know, they actually need the clear guidance that a ban would give them. Um, the other thing that they've done here, which I think is not great, and I have to say Aldi does it as well, is that they provide both cloth bags, so you can buy your cloth bags there and then reuse them, and they also buy, they provide thick plastic bags. And a lot of people go for the thick plastic bags because they're cheaper, but actually environmentally, these things are bad for the planet and they probably shouldn't be on offer. So if you are listening and you do want to... Um, make an effort to get to stop using single-use plastic bags, I would really encourage you to buy a cloth bag. And they last much longer. Um, and you really will, yes, they're more expensive to start with, but you'll get your return on investment, absolutely. And then just use those for the next 10 years. Hmm. There, I'm just thinking, I mean, that, you know, when you have a shock, and we... It's really interesting because I think they test it, and in the perfect place they, uh, where this testing happens is Facebook or social media as a whole, YouTube, Instagram. You know, every few months they always change something, and there's always this backlash. And I'm leaving this platform forever, right? And, and they know that it's you're so used to being. I don't want to say addicted, but you're so used to being on it that you're gonna bitch and moan probably for, for a couple of weeks, but then you're going to get right back in line and, and adjust. And as we were talking, I, I was thinking about uh, the former mayor of New York City, uh, Michael Bloomberg. He was he wanted to do something about obesity because we have a big a problem here. And he had a ban on getting like two cups of soda. Like if you went to a, a, a super or a fast food place, you couldn't get a large soda or you couldn't get two large sodas or it was something extreme. And mm -hmm. I think it lasted maybe two weeks. I mean, the, yeah. the, the public outcry was just, who are you to tell us what we can put in our bodies and rightfully so, but it was just so extreme. So we have an extreme of, no, you can't drink yourself with all this carbonated water. And then you have the other extreme of, which isn't an extreme, but reusable bags. <laughs> I don't, well, yeah, I don't know that that's the same kind of extreme. But in both those examples, what happens is, is that there is a cost from those actions, from drinking too much soft drink and from using single-use plastic bags, there's a cost. And the thing is the cost is not always immediate and the cost is not to the individual. And that is why the individual, I think, generally says, oh, that's not fair and blah, blah, blah. And, but, but so as a society, we need to find better ways to incorporate those costs economically so that individuals do feel them um, and then do recognise that, that their actions do impact on society as a whole. Does that make sense? That's a, no, it makes a lot of sense. And, and the other side of it is it, it's kind of annoying to me, but 
I'm a marketer, so I understand it. So well, let's use this as an example. At the day after Independence Day here, July 4th, the, on July 5th, supermarkets already have on their shelves celebrations for Labor Day, like the next day. And, you know, there used to be a time where Christmas holiday marketing and commercials and advertising started after Halloween. Well, now there, you might get Christmas commercials and jingles and stuff in like September. And so it's like, hey, don't forget to buy, don't forget to buy, and they give you a couple of months notice. I think that as we're talking, it would behoove whomever to kind of slowly bring it to the, per, uh, the, the community's awareness that, hey, it's September or uh, it's August now, but in November, we're getting doing away with plastic bags, right? Then it wouldn't be a shock. I mean, there's going to be a bunch of people that won't pay attention until the bags are gone, but then they can always go back and say, you know what, we gave you guys three months' notice as to these changes that were going to happen. Yeah, that's right. And also here, because the changes were voluntary on on behalf of the supermarkets, what they said was for the first week we will give you the reusable bags for free. And then after that you have to pay for them. And for people who brought reusable bags, I don't know whether you have like credit points system, but we do. They were giving out extra credit points if you bought your reusable bags, which I actually didn't know about until I got there to the checkout. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's that's the way that they handled that small group of people who hadn't heard about it, even though it had been fairly well advertised. And every time you went into the supermarket, which is something that you do on a regular basis, there were signs up everywhere. So um, you're right. That, that is exactly how you do, you market that change. Yeah, and you market it by saying, you know, we care about the environment. We, we're responsible and we want to do things that help the planet as a whole. And, and, and that is actually a marketing tool. Mm. Yeah, then, let me ask you, how popular is, like, uh, the technology like uh, solar solar power in Australia and, like, and, and at least, I mean, it's popular here and I think it's gaining more and more traction, but also there's a lot of people, kind of a movement of people um, building and living off-grid and... Mm-hmm. Just curious, and you know, we have a, we have like TV shows about it. You know, people going out in the yeah, middle of the building, yeah. you know, completely out, you know, totally independent, got their own wells, and they build their house with all the materials and resources that are right there in the area and whatnot. I was just curious if, um, you know, is there anything like that going on in in Australia? It's um. I mean, it does happen, and people do do that. Or people do a version of that. So they might live in a sustainable, energy-efficient house but still be connected to the grid. But the thing that happened here was that there was um, fairly sizable subsidies for people who wanted to convert to solar power, and they were nationwide for um, probably over a 10- to 15-year period. They've been phased out now. They're much less now than they used to be. But during that period, there was quite a large take-up of solar power. And now also, we're finally, belatedly, having conversations about the entire country shifting to renewables and, and mm. getting off coal. Wow. So, um, yeah, like, and you're right, that is a wow. And we're talking, they're holding conversations at the national level, how do we do this without interrupting energy supply and not shifting the costs onto the consumer? So I guess 
in that sense, you're not a you're not a weirdo when everybody's doing it, right? You, then you don't have to live off the grid when the government makes it possible for you to actually have solar on your roof and contribute to the grid. So. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys are watching it in Australia, but here in the news, you know, the ears are perked because uh, Elon Musk is planning to do this huge um, – He's making this huge statement with building a building a facility where they can have these uh, recyclable batteries. I mean, his his cars are doing extremely well, of course, but the battery life isn't as strong as everyone wants them to be. And so there's this huge mm-hmm. push to you know develop better batteries. And I wanted to ask, as far as Australia and their and self-driving cars, is there a huge push? Because, you know, there's so many ramifications, as you said, how do we pass it off to the consumer? I mean, you have car insurance, you have the gas, you know, the gasoline gas stations and such. Everyone's part, it it helps keep the economy going. What's happening in Australia so there isn't a shock to the system? We are not as advanced there. So the take-up of battery-powered cars has been really small here. Um, And... Tesla, I mean, I really admire Elon Musk because he really is at the forefront of the technology and he's pushing it and he is driving it. I know it's not perfect and he's having to iron out the bugs as he goes and, and develop the technology and improve the technology as he goes. But, and it's, but it's so unfortunate that it's still very much at the fledgling stage and Tesla's are still really expensive. Um, and even some other car companies do have battery-powered cars, you know, which you just plug in um, to your electricity source, but they, the take-up here has been really, really minor. Driverless cars are actually a different sort of technology, and I went to a forum about it a few months ago where essentially in Australia, and I imagine it would be the same in the US, the number of laws that have to be changed to enable driverless cars to be used on the roads there's something like 800 different laws, and we are legislatively a smaller country than you, so I imagine that in the US it would be worse. And just that process alone, keeping in mind the technology is not ready yet, that process alone I think would take 10 to 15 years. So we're still a way away from driverless cars. Interesting. Yeah, but, and, but it is unfortunate that petrol cars still dominate the market, and I would... I really hope that in the next 10 years we see a big shift away from that as the technology for battery-powered cars improves. And as also, I don't know that there's much point in having a battery-powered car if you're actually plugging it into a coal-fueled network. You're still actually Mm -hmm. creating the same amount of carbon pollution. But if you have a network that is powered by solar, by, by renewable energy, then you're really making a big difference. That's yeah, a good point. Yeah, um, I think it's, I think Volvo announced that by 2020, maybe as early as 2020 or 2022, they were going to have any any more um, uh, gasoline vehicles. They're they're going to be all electric. And then China was the kind of the same way, but I think a little bit later, by 2026, they said they're not going to have mm-hmm. any more. And then even um, England or Britain said by in the early 20s they're going to like outlaw all gasoline vehicles so i was like wow <laughs> yeah i think that's outstanding and you yeah. can see because you mentioned aldi and how there's no plastic bags at aldi aldi is a german chain 
So in yeah. Europe, actually, they don't have so many single-use plastic bags like, like we do here. They outlawed them years ago, and we're a bit yeah. behind. Um, so you do see a lot of environmental, um, I won't say movements, but initiatives coming out of Europe. Yeah, yeah one of my sisters lived in Munich, and I, I was there for Oktoberfest, of course. And she, it was funny that she was getting fined for, you would get fined if you were in the living room, but the lights were on in the bedroom, right? Like for some reason, I mean, they could tell they were on one hand, it was like, wow, this is really great. And then on the other hand, it was like, wow, big brother, but they could tell like the usage. One person, if one person lives here, all these lights should not be on and it would be reflected in your bill. Uh, either mm-hmm. through some type of some penalty or such. So, yeah, they, they are at the forefront. And I, I, I'm glad you brought them up because what we see in the States, we're, I mean, it's the United States, but there's a lot of um, state-run initiatives that are happening initially before they become national. So here in the States, we have uh, the, the marijuana laws that are getting passed, like California. California is, uh, I guess, the standard for change, right? You have marijuana laws that are recreational and medicinal in in California. And just Mm -hmm. this past Friday on uh, the Bill Maher show, you know, they're in LA. So they're one of the states that have the strongest or the strictest emission laws in the country. And they were, you know, lamenting that, that our president was trying to lower those limits so they can get more cars there. So on some level, you have states that are unwilling to wait, like you said, all the laws that have to be changed and how long it would take. I don't think Mm -hmm. the country as a whole, it may take that long, but states are taking their own initiative to, uh, to be proactive in that respect. Which is great. It's great that you've got that leadership at, um, at the state level. Um, I always say that you have two big powers as, as an individual. Everybody can make a difference. And you can do it through your voting power and your consumer power. So if you're voting for people who are committed to making the world um, a, a better place environmentally and socially and peacefully, those are the people that you should be voting for. And states showing that leadership is a prime example of that. You were talking about... Um just the summer and things that happen in the summer. And one thing that just read in the bio, you were talking about patio furniture. And I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that because, you know, again, in May, like late April, early May, even supermarkets still have, you know, some cheap patio furniture every year. So I'm assuming that people buy it for the summer and then get rid of it. And you, I no think way. I wanted to get your, yeah, yeah, the, the, nothing, really? everything's disposable. Everything's disposable here. So I, want, I wanted to get your, t- I mean, it may not be that just for the summer, but it won't, it won't last five years for sure. So. Okay. All right. So this comes back to my early comment with your consumer power. Number one, do you really need it? And two, what is the environmentally friendly alternative? So if you're buying something that is going to, fall apart within a couple of years, that is not an environmentally friendly product. And it would probably be worthwhile saving up a bit and buying yourself something that was better quality. Now, the reason that I did raise that is because we had an issue here in Australia where a lot of the um, wooden furniture, the outdoor wooden furniture that was being available was actually made from timber that had been illegally logged in Cambodian national parks and then shipped across the border to Vietnam made up in Vietnam and then sent out around the world. And Australia was a, was a primary market for them. 
And a lot of people, like when you look at furniture, I think a lot of people when they go in and they're looking at their outdoor furniture, particularly their wooden furniture, they don't think about that. And they don't think about where does that timber come from. Me, myself, when I look at all the hardwood that's available in the world, I think there is not enough hardwood plantations to support the amount of hardwood timber that's out there. And the official figures are 15 to 30% of all timber in the world is illegally logged. Um, so and if you're interested in figures like that, I should say I have lots of them on my website, yasmindarva.com, so go and have a look. So, um, so the way that you know that you're buying a product that hasn't been illegally logged is that you look for timber that has been internationally certified. There are two certification schemes. One is FSC and the other is PESC. And for every product that comes from certified timber, it will have their symbol on it. So you're just looking for those letters with a tree. Um, and it will have it either on, because you have it also on your office paper. So you look at on the packaging on the outside. We have timber furniture, which is PEFC certified. There's a small plaque on the back of the furniture. That's what you're looking for. So it's about being conscious. What's your environmentally, alternative, environmentally friendly alternative? Yeah, thanks for that awareness. And yeah, on your site, we, I like that your page about the global peace and sustainability indicators. Uh, I, I thought that yeah. was huge. I thought that, and, yeah. and now I do want to I do want to spend some time on that. Uh, but before we do, because we're talking about the summer, and you know more people are out in the summer. And mm-hmm. as I mentioned, he, here in the states, I mean, we yes, we do live in North America, the United States. However, you know, other states are have better initiatives than others. Let's just say that. And so, yeah. what had come out in the news yesterday was uh, the state of Massachusetts. Massachusetts has probably they were seen as the, the, the template if a state wanted to have, like, uh, affordable uh, universal health care and, you know, everyone's taken care of from young children to the elderly. Like, it's the standard of if, if it was a national initiative. And, of course, everyone's going to have an opinion on that. I understand that. But the reason why I bring it up is because since more people are out in the summer and in the state of Massachusetts where you have these uh, – these things in place to take care of the folks, the news have brought out that the people in, in the state are alarmed because the rate of HIV is increasing because of needle usage and opioid addiction. And so they're saying that those people are, right, they're not, oh, let me put this in a bag and throw it in the trash. No, you have, <laughs> you have all this that's just out littered in the streets at an alarming rate. And that was news to me. It, you know, put a lot of people uh, at, that were unease, right, by the news. I didn't know what you guys, if you guys are even dealing with opioid issues over there and, and the fallout, which would be like, like I just mentioned, littering and, and you we're talking about save the environment. This is something that no one's even talking about on a grand scale. Okay. Um, okay there, so there are a couple of things in there. Um, uh, look, drug use is unfortunately everywhere and, and the reason why people use it is probably a completely different conversation. We had issues with needles, but I would say 15 years ago. And so what they did is put needle disposable units in public toilets so people could safely dispose of their needles. Just because you're a drug user doesn't mean that you don't care about other people and other people's safety and, and people do use them. And the other thing is that we have... Um, in areas where there is high drug use, we have um, like safe clinics where people can go and inject. 
And then, of course, then they're not trashing, they're not putting trash on the streets. The needles are kept there in the facility and disposed of properly. Um, so that is the way that you help address that. As well as if you have those safe places where people can go and inject, that's also a safe place where they can go and get help. So, um, yeah. So um, I think that that's a, a good way to deal with what is a really horrible problem. Because, yeah, you're right, nobody wants needles in their public areas and some child could fall on them or you could fall on them and, and injure yourself and possibly be infected. You, you don't want any of that. So it is about creating um, disposal units, basically, for, for users to use. That's awesome. I don't, I don't know about mm-hmm. it. I mean, I'm just that news is such a shock. I, I'm not, obviously, I'm not obviously, but I'm just so removed that I don't know if there's any initiative or anything like that in place here. Do you know about anything like that, David? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, it was, and like I said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, in the news, it's a lot of, you know, fear mongering and such. And for that reason, I don't watch a lot of it, but this news is, you know, there's always going to be something that catches you. (laughs) And I was just like, well, what is it like? What is the, you know, we're reactive. And a lot of the conversation that we've had with you today has been on your side more of a proactive approach and it seems like it would be ideal as opposed to always running around putting out fires yeah that's it that's it how do we how do we really address this problem i find it interesting though that you were saying that hiv was on the rise because it's not on the rise here although hiv is completely treatable now you can keep it under control which is fantastic um the medicine has just come such a long way but, but still, you're right. It is absolutely about being proactive and, and helping to find solutions rather than complaining about problems or making big deals about problems without offering any solutions. I don't know whether I told you guys this, but um, in my first year of engineering, my pro- our head of school, who was a professor both in civil engineering and microbiology, he had PhD in both. He was amazing. He walked into the room and he wrote on the board, if you are not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. And of everything that I learned in my degree, that is the thing that sticks with me the most. And it's a good adage, I think, to have in life. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Yeah. I'd have to agree with you on that because on your page with the Global Peace and Sustainability Indicators, I mean, this is exhaustive research. And what does it take to keep that all up to date? What is that like? Um... I, I put that page together because I couldn't find anywhere else, anyone else that had done it, put all of those indicators together. A lot of people tend to research in their particular areas of expertise. Um, mm. And so that, and that's why I did it. But, and it did take a lot to find some of that research. Some of that is buried in pages of international documents. Um, and so every year, once a year, I go through and... Um, go back to my sources and I make sure that they're reputable organizations and you know, I'm not just quoting anybody and um, see whether or not they've done more research and what the change is. It's, it's unfortunate that um, most of the time when I do it, because these are statistics that are in my book, Our Peaceful Planet, um, and so then I just put them on my website and then updated them. But most of the time, unfortunately, those statistics just get worse. Occasionally they improve, but mostly they get worse. And so we still really have a long way to go in terms of creating peace and sustainability. And that's why it's important that we all get involved. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I, I like, uh, as you were talking about, you're, you're saying the consumption and the human consumption has continued to grow. And you said it's, you know, the first world because of the disposable income. And so you see, you know, there's an argument of finite resources and you see places like India and China that may in the past may not have had the middle class, but they have a growing middle class and mm-hmm. they're having some of those first world problems. So mm-hmm. looking at it from a global standpoint, where do you see as far as uh, that consumption? Is it just human nature that as soon as we get more, we want more? I don't think so because we've gone through periods where we haven't had that much and we've been fine and we've not consumed in the way that we do. And you have to remember also that that this whole consumer culture has negative side effects, not only for the planet, but also for the individual. You know, people can get caught up with, oh, I don't have this and I don't have that and that makes me less as a person. And, and none of that is true. You know, what, what you have by no means defines who you are. But yet that is the marketing message that we've been absorbed, you know, we've absorbed, that we've been told and, and that's what's driven this consumer culture. And I think we need to step back and just sort of go, as, as, an, as the world, it's not just in Western countries, because you're right, in India there is growing consumption and in, in China especially. We have to step back and go, well, you know what, is this, is this valid? Is this real? Um, is that true? And I think you actually have to do that with all your beliefs because your beliefs are what drive your actions. So, you know, is this valid for me? And do I still really need to to believe this? Or should I be believing something which is better for me and better for society and the planet as a whole? And I think that we really do need to make that shift from you don't need to consume and consume and consume to be defined as a person. You need to have enough so that you can live comfortably um, but you don't need to have all the things, all the clothes that we accumulate and, and cars and um, shoes and electronic devices. We actually don't, we don't need them. Um, not in the way that we, we think that we do. We really do have, we do have a long way to go in challenging that culture, challenging that belief system and then coming up with a new one that says, you know what, we as individuals, we are okay and our things don't define us. Yeah, you're right. There, you know, I talked about the whole off-grid thing. There's also a movement of people, and I think we did a, a podcast with someone, and, you know, to this whole minimalism thing. So you're seeing people moving into these, like, tiny homes, you know, 400 square feet, 500 square feet homes. Mm-hmm. They're actually kind of nice, to be honest. It's like you'd be surprised at what can be done with such a small amount of space. But... um yeah, it's interesting with like so where people are just kind of going the opposite direction now. They're going to well, we don't need all this stuff. We don't want to leave a big imprint, you know, on the planet. And and uh, I think it's kind of cool actually. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is here um, in Sydney, housing is so expensive that now we're seeing far more uh, multi generational homes than we were before. Children are staying at home much longer because it's much harder to be able to afford a property to move out. And um, and then the same thing with um, uh, the older generation who may have homes when they see their children struggling, they say, you know, well, you know, why don't you move back in with us and so you'll have three generations in a home. And I'll also add to that that my partner grew up in Serbia. He had three generations in a four-roomed house. Whoa. And they were fine. Whenever you speak to anyone from Serbia about growing up in the 70s and 80s, they talk about it in such glowing terms because of the community culture that they had. 
mm. and the strong family connections. Uh, so, you know, we, you know, we think, oh, we've got to have a big house and you've got this big house with two people to rattle around in. And actually people are happier, yeah. uh, you know, living together with their family in small spaces. Wow. There's also here in the States, there's a, a little pushback. You see this in some of the TED Talks where they're, they're trying to push this uh, detoxing from social media. And since you're a, well, I don't have the actual stats, but since you like stats, they were saying that the uh, depression rate and suicide rate has actually increased over the last two wow. years just due to consumption and keeping up with it. And, you know, it, I have to keep up with not only people in my neighborhood, but <laughs> with people on social media. <laughs> so it's like, it, and it, I mean, I don't mean to laugh because it, it's serious to, to some people, but it, it, it's still relatively young. I mean, the internet is tw- less than 20 years old or 20 years old. So I think it has to go through a process. So my question to you is, do you think all of this is happening because it's a process? Like you said in the eighties, there was like this community or communal aspect because that's what you knew, but you know, you had to go to, Oh, I can have everything I want. And is it really what I wanted? You know, you see the the Mm. ramifications of it. Mm. What's your take on that? Did we have to go through that? Or do you think we have to go through a detox process? I think, yeah, it's just human nature. I think it really comes down to our beliefs. And I think last time we talked about collective beliefs, beliefs that we hold as a society or as a group of people. And, you know, so one way of living is, is popular for a while and then, and then we go to this consumer culture and big house and everybody living by themselves. And, and then, oh, you know, there's this big push. You have to be on social media and social media is the big thing. And, and so I always think, you know, what, I think it's important to stand back and say, what is driving that? And is that a belief that I need to buy into? Is that a belief that is going to help me in the long run? Um, and I also am a big believer in everything in moderation. So you shouldn't be on social media all the time. You've got the rest of your life to live. You've got all these other things to do. Um, and that way then that moderates other people's influence on you. So does that make sense? I think, I think as a person, some more critical thinking is required. You know, why am I participating in this? Is this really helping me or is this not helping me? And if it's not helping me, what do I need to do to change that so that I'm living my life more positively? What beliefs do I need to change? What actions do I need to change? Yeah, and the reason why You're I right, it is a process. Up, well, I was wondering from your side too, uh, you know, here we have... Uh, or what we try to leverage from a marketing standpoint is influencer marketing. So, you know, if I say something, uh, that's cool. But if I can get Will Smith to say it, right, it's so much better and people are more apt to listen to him. So mm-hmm. I didn't know as far as uh, your outreach. I mean, you're, you're pretty connected with some, some of these folks. So it was, I, didn't want, I didn't know if, if that is even an approach, like to talk about carbon pollution and climate change, uh, human over human consumption, any of those heavy talks so that the kids actually do pay attention. I mean, we were talking to someone on a previous podcast where, you know, they're a consultant and we were talking about where people or you're, you may say something to a family member and they don't listen, but then they'll see a video of it on YouTube or something and start spouting it. <laughs> you just smack your head like, I tried to tell you that 15 years ago. So, um, that, That's called the power of the third person. 
So the, the people mm-hmm. in your immediate family, yeah, they completely discard you because they've seen you, you know, at your worst and at your best. Um, and they don't listen necessarily what you say. But if somebody else says that, that they don't know so well, oh, suddenly it's truth. Um, and that's universal regardless of whether social media is about or not. Um, look, the environmental movement does use social media and, and even some of the peace movement uses social media quite well, I think, to, um, to advertise their message. And you do see, I've certainly seen images on social media of the floating garbage, for example. Um, is that, has that been widely spread enough? I would say not yet. We've still got a way to go. Yeah. But, I mean, it's important to use whatever tools are at your disposal, and um, social media is certainly one of those, and it is really good for influencing. Um, But, once again, you just have to make sure that you as an individual, are you being positively or negatively influenced? Absolutely. And we, we talked a lot about summer and patios and how we're negatively influencing the environment and falls right around the corner. So are there any anything that foreshadowing that you could talk about that we take for granted that is damaging the environment as it as it gets colder? Is there things to look out for? We 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 slowly started doing away with the straws and the, we have our reusable bags and now what? And now, look, it's the same, the same principle applies no matter what the season is. So I guess we consume more hot drinks, so this is where you need your reusable coffee cup. And, um, and if you really like skiing, see what ski gear that you can get that might have been environmentally manufactured. Um, I, I, I personally don't like skiing, so I can't provide any advice there. Although I would say that merino wool thermal underwear is fantastic. Um, uh, you know, it's it's just it's the same principle. Whatever it is that you're doing, just is there environmentally friendly alternative to whatever it is that you're consuming? Number one, do you need it? Number two, what's the environmentally friendly alternative? Doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter what season it is. That would actually would be funny. Yeah, I only I only worry about the environment during the summer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that when we're out, we're out and about in the summer. We love it. All oh, we can go out. The weather's warm. I think we tend to litter more. So that's you know we need to uh, make sure that we're putting it in the bin, and when bins aren't available, taking it home with us and throwing it out there. Yes, indeed. Uh, any other questions, David? Um, no, I think we covered it pretty good. Yeah, I think it was a pleasure again speaking with you, and, and I learned some more stuff. And uh, this that image of the garbage dump the size of Texas, man, that was rough. Really yeah. <laughs> <Very> rough. <laughs> that was really rough. Uh, but I do want you to I, I do want you to talk about your site and and also where they can get your book and if they want to get a consultation or find out more about you. Now's the time. That'd be perfect, Yasmin. Absolutely. So. My website is my name, yasmindava.com. That's Y-A-S-M-I-N-D-A-V-A-R.com. There's a ton of resources on there, including the statistics that we talked about. There's also a page where I've got tips of things that you can do. These are changes that you can make um, really easily in your life to contribute positively to the environment and socially. And just because it's small actions by many people accumulate into large action and we will have an impact and we will influence businesses and governments just by taking small steps. Um, and for my book, which is Our Peaceful Planet, you can order it online. 
it's available through Amazon, but it's available through, I think, a number of uh, online retailers. So I think you just need to do a search and, and go to your favorite online bookstore. And um, if you want to stay in touch with me, you can actually sign up to my newsletter. And I send them out maybe once a fortnight or so, and I um, try to keep it interesting. So then you know what it is that I'm up to, and, and also if I've got some tips. Sometimes people ask me questions. You know, what do you think about this? Last week I had somebody ask me about um, disposable nappies. So, you know, I, know I, I, um, I write to those things as well in my newsletter. So if you're interested, by all means, sign up. Awesome, awesome. Well, you've just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hansa. And I am David. And Yasmin, it was a pleasure, and let's definitely stay in touch. I enjoyed talking to you again. Great, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, thanks for being here. Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.